Everybody's ideas are crappy and stupid, including my own, until you can prove they aren't with real numbers. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse, and today my guest is Tom Antion. Tom, how are you today? I am peachy, man. It's going to get hot here, and it's going to get hot on this show, too, because I'm going to give a lot of usable information. Nice. And yeah, there's been kind of the heat wave going through the U.S. right now when we're recording this. It's like uh, June 30th, I think it is today. And man, it's been hot. Let me read your bio so people know who you are. Tom Antion has never had a job. He's an internet millionaire guy next door and founder of the only licensed, dedicated internet marketing school in the country. And he's the subject of a Hollywood documentary, The American Entrepreneur, that's premiering summer of 2021. So, Tom, just to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the documentary? Well, I was I'm also a professional speaker. I've done like 3000 speeches in 12 countries. And and the lady that got me started wrote a book called Speak and Grow Rich instead of Think and Grow Rich. And and she ended up passing away, and I was kind of her one of her protégés, and I was asked to speak at her memorial in California. And uh, a documentary producer was in the crowd who I meant maybe for three minutes, said, hello, how are you? And then she started following my career, and then a couple years later, she approached me and said, hey, I'd like to do a documentary about you because of your your father coming to the U.S. from overseas as a child and becoming an entrepreneur and making you into an entrepreneur. And you've made thousands of people into entrepreneurs. So I, I said, wow, that's that's really something. I thought you had to be dead to have a documentary. <laughs> so apparently not. So over the past couple of years, she's asked me for information and pictures and things like that. And it's finally uh, coming to fruition. I'm not sure exactly when and where it's going to premiere they're they're hollywood people are a little shy on details but uh, but i'm I'm very honored about it we'll have a big online premiere and stuff so that's uh that's basically it i think a lot of that stuff is you know once once you get it kind of into the editing room it's pretty hard to have a a set deadline unless you push it way out yeah well actually they're done with the documentary they're trying to make deals with Netflix and Amazon and, you know, all the places. So, so I'm kind of out of that, but, but anyway, it's, uh, it's quite an honor and I'm going to, you know, do whatever I can to live up to it. Nice. So you talk in, in, in your bio briefly that you've never had a job. Do you want to explain what you mean by you've never had a job? (laughs) Well, well, I actually, Matt, I applied for a job once and it, it said that it had a 401k and I thought, man, that's a pretty good starting salary, 401000 <laughs> Apparently that wasn't the exact case. But no, I actually owned, starting with nothing, owned five apartment buildings and a hotel before I graduated from college. I did have uh, you know, a couple summer jobs, cutting grass and, and stuff. But other than that, I've always had my own business since before graduating from college. And so that's hence the name of my podcast, Screw the Commute. And when you look at my bio, it kind of looks like BS because how can somebody do all this stuff? And my contention is, is if you're not in the car hours a day and prepping and getting, 
you know, all the stuff it takes to go and come home from work and then go to work, you could live two or three extra lives. And so I've been a charter pilot, I owned a nightclub, owned various businesses, have a protection dog business, just all kinds of things that, that you can do if you weren't uh, in the car making somebody else rich. Yeah, and the uh, the thing about, you know, commuting is a lot of people go, oh, well, my commute's only like 20 minutes each way. But is it really 20 minutes each way? Because, you know, it's a 20-minute drive, but then it's five, 10 minutes parking. It's walking to and from the office and your house, stopping to get a coffee or a bagel or something on your way to work, right? It's all these things start to add up. It's it's your lunch break, right? So your eight-hour work day is now a 12-hour day. Well, uh, plus the expenses that go along with it. Remember, you've got to have extra wardrobe. You've got gas, oil, insurance, a new cars more often. And there's a lot of other things that go along with it. Yeah, I would say that the amount of time I used to commute when I was an IT contractor is about the equivalent amount of time it takes me to produce this podcast twice a week. <laughs> yeah, so so uh, I'd rather have the podcast tell that yeah, than, uh, than yeah, me too. going to an IT place, <laughs> that's for sure. So if somebody wants, maybe they, I mean, I mean a lot of people obviously have jobs and, and, and go to work every day, right? Because people got to pay their bills and pay the rent and, and put some food on the table and that kind of stuff, right? But if somebody wants to kind of start working their way out of that, what's kind of the first step? Well, you know, all work is honorable. So, you know, I'm glad there's people out there doing work, but I, I, I'm not going to teach them to do that. You know, since the year 2000, I mean, I hit multimillionaire status in the year 2000, which was six years after I started online and four years after I really started uh, learning and making money. So, so right about that time is when ebooks came along, PDF ebooks. And I started selling uh, PDF ebooks back in the year 2000, and they're 97% profit. I was listening to an interview you did on some other guy's thing, and you're very, you know, intricate on the details of this DKIM stuff and all these things with email, and I love email. But with 97% profit, Matt, you have to try to mess up. To not be able to make some sure. money, you know. So I'm not anywhere intricate as, as I was so impressed listening to you. I said I've been email marketing for 27 years, made fortunes doing it, but not nearly as intricate as you do it. And and that's because of the high profit margins with digital products. Now I had the way back cassette tapes I sold, CDs, DVDs. And and they were still pretty darn high profit, but nothing compared to digital products. So I would say if somebody wants to get into this and keep their expenses low, they should concentrate on digital products because you can get as much for an ebook as a regular printed book, knocking out like a thousand percent of the hassle of a printed book. I mean, I, we do a simple PDF or Word document converted to PDF, sell that. Then we convert it to Amazon Kindle. We don't do anything but Kindle. All the rest is worthless time wasters. Kindle is the, the big um, kahuna. And you can, you can make a small fortune just with digital information products. And then that spins off into online courses and things like that. Membership sites, all digital. Absolutely. And, you know, the interesting thing, and I know I saw the I saw you on Tim Fitzpatrick's show. Right. 
and on Rialto Marketing. The interesting thing about email and, and kind of the reason that I know the specifics about it is that I worked as an IT contractor, right? So I I, I like built mail servers and things, right? And, you know, our company, we have our own mail server that we take care of. Amazing. Right? I mean, my business partner, Scott, does most of that work, but. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't touch that with a 50-foot pole. <laughs> and I mean, we have our own web servers and database servers and all this kind of stuff because we do hosting and things like that. So, but the, the biggest change is, and that this is something that I know there's a lot of margin, so it's, you know. You can say, well, if a lot of people don't get my email on my list, it's not as bad because I have a lot of margin. So the ones who do buy, I get a lot of money back. However, by, with a handful of technical things accomplished, you can make a ton more money because there's something happening right now. And I don't want to get too sidetracked on it, but I think it's an important distinction. And, and the reason that it's important is that Google... And Microsoft and a few of the big players who have free email accounts for people like Gmail and stuff like that. And they have their own email services, right? Like you can get Outlook, Mail, you can get Gmail for business. What they've done is they've said under the guise of saying, we're going to stop you, Mr. Consumer, from getting more spam. They've said, we're not going to accept mail from anyone unless they've jumped through all of these hoops first. And that's stuff like DKIM and SPF records and all this crap that has to be done correctly. Or they won't deliver your mail that gets sent to them. And the reason that they're doing it is if Mr. Business Owner is getting mail at hisdomain.com from some small provider you know, who doesn't have these things set up, then they will say, oh, look, I'm not receiving my mail from other people. How do I fix this? And Gmail is a solution. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. They're so always going to slant towards themselves. That's for right. sure. They're, so what they're doing is, is they're making us jump through these technical hoops. Just like the current Google Core Web Vitals thing, which has all, the, all this language and stuff in it that people don't know anything about as a business owner. Like, when's the last time you heard a small business owner talking with another small business owner about <laughs> the first contextual paint of their website? Like, it's just a word that's meaningless to them. But now, suddenly, it means if you don't have that under two and a half seconds, your website's not going to rank anymore. So they're kicking the can down the road. <laughs> from- exactly. But what I don't want people to get discouraged is, oh, I can't start because of all this stuff. Absolutely. You can start and then you get somebody like Matt to, to fix it and teach you what to do to make it even better. But you, you got to start or nothing happens. Right. And you know what? There are systems in place that you can use that handle all of those things for you out of the box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Off the shelf stuff. Yeah. And I've concentrated on that. I mean, I've in 27 years, I've been online selling online since the commercial internet started around 1994 and i have never had anything programmed ever <laughs> it's all been off the shelf uh, stuff and now back in those days there was no social media i mean it was easy to get people to sign up for anything because there was nothing else to sign up for yeah and people got excited when they got email yeah oh yeah we we used co-registration to build up 50,000 subscribers and in a matter of months, which now I haven't touched uh, such a thing for years and years and years. Uh, but it's, you know, it's an evolving medium. 
and that's the whole thing is keeping up with stuff, you know, and, and, and it's like, and nothing of it, nothing of it's really that hard. It's just that it's like, I, I tell people it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle. All the pieces are there, but most of the business owners don't have the box to see what the whole thing looks like, you know, and that's what guys like you and me help, help them with is to see, okay, this is worthless. Don't do this. This is great. Do this and, and so forth. Yeah, I mean, for our agency, on the agency side, we're a done-for-you agency, meaning you don't have to know <laughs> anything, really, <laughs> right? I mean, you got to know how to run your business and make money. But if you know how to run your business and make money, we can do all the rest of the stuff, right? We can go out and find you more people. We can fill the pipeline. We can take care of the technical things, right? But let's talk about digital products again for a minute. So in a 2021 world... What kind of digital products do you think are the best ones for people to get into? Is it still that kind of ebook kind of area? No, well, it's we always what I always start my students with is an is a PDF ebook because for several reasons. One, it costs them absolutely nothing but time because they already have Word or Pages on their computer and they can convert it to PDF. And they don't have to format it like you would for a printed book or even a print-on-demand book. So it's it's a place to get all your information together that's saleable and then improve it. Because somebody's going to say, hey, why didn't you talk about this, Tom? And I say, oh, man, I forgot that. So I can go to the Word document, update it, convert it to PDF, and put the new version out. No investment, no nothing, no hoops to jump through, no help needed at all. So we start them with the PDF. Then after that's gotten some feedback and it's where you want it, then we convert that to Amazon Kindle. Well, why is that? Well, Amazon Kindle is one of the best things that ever could happen to a small business because you got Amazon's power behind you. It still costs nothing for product development. And also, if you're in Kindle and you've, if you shunned all the other crap, the Barnes & Noble Nook and all that, worthless stuff. You have a thing called Kindle Direct Publishing, the select program. And what they will do is give your book away for five days out of every 90 if you agree not to sell it digitally anywhere else. Well, you say, well, how are you going to make money that way, Tom? Well, listen to this. I wrote a book in four hours in a layover at McCarran Airport in Las Vegas. I remember it vividly. And as of this morning, it's brought in $3.647 million. <laughs> okay, you say, well, that sounds like BS, Tom. How could that be? Well, uh, let me give you that method, and then I'll get back to Amazon in a second. So the method is, is you write an ebook, and all books should be quality, but lead to something else bigger, because they're the smallest profit level with a book. Everybody knows how much a book should cost. So I taught something on how to do something in this book, but you could not do it unless you purchase the tool that's needed to do what I told you in the book. <laughs> right? So, And I get a commission on that. Now, nowadays, in the U.S., at least you have to you know, give people notice that you're getting a commission on stuff, but nobody cares much. And so we use what we call a residual affiliate program. A basic affiliate is if I refer something and get paid once. But a residual is I refer it once, but I get paid forever as long as the people keep using the service. So some people have had the service 16, 17 years, 
All right. And they never get rid of it because it's great. So so that's how the, the money comes in. And that I make six hundred dollars per year per person, at least if that's if they pay yearly, if they pay monthly, I end up making seven hundred dollars a year. So back to Amazon. Well, you say, well, why would you care if Amazon gave your book away? How are you going to make money that way? Well, the same way I made it giving this other book away, but Amazon can give away more books than I can. They gave away 2,500 books for me in that one five-day period, and I couldn't do that. I'm, I'm damn good, but I'm not that good, and, and those people started buying this stuff, and I started getting affiliate commissions. <laughs> See, so, so that's why the digital world is where you should concentrate on if you want to start this with extremely low risk, but the high-end, back-end, and uh, potential for profit is extremely high. So the Amazon, the Amazon Select program, they have another promotion you can do also. Oh, they have tons of promotions, yeah, that you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's there's the five-day book giveaway one, which I really like because it gets people like starting to review your book and stuff, which can help you in search and discovery and all those kinds of things. There's another one where you can have a book deal where you can set the price and it gets like it'll start at the lowest price and it gets like a little more expensive each day. So it kind of creates that scarcity, you know, oh, I should buy it now while it's three bucks before it goes up to five bucks kind of thing. Yep. They also have the deals where you can, you know, the prime members get, you know, so many per month. I forget the names of these deals, but, you know, you can uh, trade. You got, it's like a trading library. And so uh, you can have your book in, in that program, too, and people can take it for free. But like I said, I don't care if it's free. I want them to read the book and buy what's in the book. Now, you do have to be careful with affiliate links. In the, you, you will not get your, your ebook accepted in Amazon if it's got a weird-looking affiliate link. So the best practice is to have a normal-looking link that goes to your site, which gives you a site visit, and it gets your approved by Amazon. But your affiliate link is embedded on the landing page at your site. Well, that's better for two reasons. One is that you'll get accepted. Number two is if that affiliate goes belly up or turns out to be a schmuck, you can adjust the link on your site and say, hey, you know that thing I told you in the book? Well, they're, they're, they're crappy. So here's the new place I found that's really great. And so your book always stays updated with the affiliate link. So it's like I said, I, it's a waste of time to do any of the other ones when you have this. Just the select program alone with Amazon makes it worthwhile to stick with them. Yeah, there's there's some like cases where I would use other stuff. Like if you're outside of the United States, you might want to think about doing stuff like Kobo and Barnes and Noble. And yeah, or maybe if you know all your your readers are on a certain platform, yeah, that makes sense. But overall, you know, Kindle's got I don't know, what eighty ninety percent of the market, so that's why I stick with them. Yeah, it's like at least ninety percent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, there's you know one other spot that I think is worth looking into if you have a free book that you're giving away is the library lending program because a lot of people will it's it's just like a kindle free book except it's for the public library system so you can actually give away a lot of books through the library system yeah you know another thing i just thought of was another reason i like sticking with amazon is amazon now owns audible and then there's a thing called the whisper sync program 
This is crazy. I, this is a guy like you probably invented something because <laughs> I couldn't do it. I don't even know how it possibly works. But but let's say you are, you're reading your Kindle ebook in the morning at breakfast before you go to work, and you get in the car, and then you can listen to it right where you left off on the reading it, and then when you get to work on a break, you can start reading it again where you left off listening. To it. I don't know how that works, but uh, that's called the WhisperSync program, and it's another digital avenue and out, outlet for your 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 book is by audio, and you can record it yourself. Now the the audio requirements are pretty strict, but you know, a good microphone, a quiet environment, you can get any kind of uh, geek to to get it accepted by Audible for you. Yeah, what I did, I actually had our voiceover guy do my books. And not for the fact, just because, I mean, yeah, he's got a better voice than me and everything. Yeah, but, and I understand that people want to hear from the author sometimes. However, it was a time thing. I was like, I don't have time to record 13 chapters of this book, but my audio guy does, and I have money. So I will just pay him, and he could do it, and it'll turn out way better than... Yeah, and he's responsible. Yeah, and you'll do all the audio and, yeah, like make make sure it fits the requirements properly and it's in the right format and everything. And he did it and I uploaded it and they approved it and I didn't have to do anything, which is that is something I am a big fan of is when stuff gets done and I don't have to do it. So if somebody wants to kind of get away from the the whole nine to five, right, and uh, and they're going to go into, you know, publishing or something how do they how do you how do you think people can sort of clarify that you know what their idea is or that their idea is something that's going to sell well that's that's one of the biggest mistakes people make in all of the years i've been doing this thousands of students and tens of thousands of audience members they get what i call a csi and you may have heard of that in the it was a u.s tv show called crime scene investigation but i call it crappy stupid idea (laughs) and and everybody's ideas are crappy and stupid including my own until you can prove they aren't with real numbers so the first thing in the first episode of my podcast first one is on keyword research you got to know the words or people searching and the volumes they're searching and all the different ways they're searching. And then we updated it on episode 130 for voice search, which is different than uh, regular keyboard search. So you got to learn those things first uh, and see if uh, there's any demand at all for your idea. And then and then you got to use a little bit of brain power because let's say you put in MP3 into the keyword tools. Well, 600 million people a month are looking for them, but it's all kids stealing them. You know, so it's not necessarily a good market. The next thing is, is you do a product uh, search. And if you don't see any products in your what you have an idea about, there's one of two things is happening. Either you just hit the lottery which means you're going to make all the money and clean up and be rich and be living on a yacht in Greece. However, that's probably not the case. The case probably is nobody could make any money with that, and that's why there's no products. So you want products in your field that proves that there's a market. In fact, I have, I have a, a table over there. I'm a kind of a tennis nut, and I've got a six-foot banquet table, three feet high with tennis training videos. And 
people that are crazy about a topic will buy everything there is on that topic. So you got to uh, find something where there's already products. And if the keywords research holds up and the product research holds up, then if you, I call it my pizza shop theory, if you make a good pizza, there's a big demand for pizza in the world, you'll get your fair share of the business. So that's my method for before I put out a product. Nice. And uh, once once a product is selling, you had spoken earlier about kind of, you know, people telling you, oh, why don't you talk about this or that? Is that research usually done through like the comments on Amazon or is it more of a feedback thing from people directly? Both. It's both. Whatever somebody says that's reasonable, you say, oh, there's an improvement I can make in this in this uh, digital product. And then, like I said, once you get it to a certain point, then you start thinking about, okay, how can I spin this off into other even more profitable products? So, for instance, I wrote an article one time, Matt, called When Does 20 Equal 24,000? So let's think about this. So let's say you had a membership site, Matt, and you had only 100 members, which is about as pitiful as you can get in this big world, right? And they were paying you 20 bucks a month. That's $2,000 a month times 12 is 20. You just created a $24,000 a year cash flow with one of the most pitiful performances on the face of the earth. All right. What if you had 200 members? You just exceeded the average income of a U.S. citizen, probably Canadian citizen, too. So you're looking for ways to spin off the same information because the profit margin you'll enjoy from knowledge is dependent on the format that it's delivered in. For instance, I have a book in front of me. It's one of the classics of the speaking industry called Wake Em Up. And it's $24.95. It's 300-page, gorgeous, six-by-nine, just packed full of stuff that's made me millions and millions of dollars on stage. So it's $24.95. The equivalent, Matt, of one-twelfth of that book, just one-twelfth of it on audio or a little bit from each chapter, sells for $89.95. That's a 43-and-a-half-time multiplier for the same information. If it's in a DVD set that I throw in a couple consultations and I throw in the book, it's $1,000. If it's in person, it's $5,000. See, so it's the same exact information, but the format dictates your profit margin. And, you know, you talked a little bit there kind of at the beginning about, you know, how people can get information back to you through comments and things like that. So you can improve your product. Is that a good way to do product research also? I know that people do it for physical products as they go look at products on Amazon and stuff, look in the comments and people say, oh, this would be great if it had you know, a light that tells you when it's working or something. And then somebody says, okay, I'm going to put a light on this and then sell it, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to, to get started. But, you know, you and I are both in love with email. And so you can just email your list and ask them, hey, what kind of trouble are you having with things? And what, what would you like me to come out with this year? You know, and so people will tell you. And, and I got a, a book by a, a guy named Ryan Levesque called Ask. Yep, the Ask Method. Yeah, it was a big uh, turning point in the way I survey people because he he was prior to this, me and everybody else was teaching to give people incentives to fill out a survey for you. He said, no, that's the stupidest thing on earth. You're going to get so many people. I've done it myself. Just fill out stuff to get the, the perk that you're giving them and they don't even put any thought into it. He says, don't give any 
incentive for surveys because then you'll only get the most interested people, the most thoughtful people to give you the best feedback. So that was a, a great thing I learned from uh, from that book. Yeah, there's something that people almost never do in email, especially small businesses and local businesses, is they don't ask people questions to their in their email list because they don't want to have to read all the responses. <laughs> and that is the worst thing that you could possibly do. I would say that that's slightly short sighted. <laughs> right. I mean, the best thing that you could do is have a simple way to ask your clients something about, you know, what else can we offer that is something you would enjoy? What's a different, you know, we sell pizza because you used the pizza earlier, right? You could say, here's three different pizzas we're thinking of making. Which one of these do you think we should put on special next week? And do you have any ideas for other ones you'd like? And if 20 people on your email list all come up with the same idea, then now you got a new pizza. Yeah, and then they're going to all run in and buy it as soon as you announce it, too. Right. So you can get a burst of income out of it. People don't ask a question of their email list enough. And there's also a second reason to do it. That's a technical reason that nobody really knows. And the technical reason is most modern email clients, as soon as you hit the reply button, it adds the email address they're replying to into their address book. And if that email address is in their address book, it won't get put in the spam folder when you send them email in the future. Yeah, that's a, that's a great great point. Now, what are you what are you guys doing about the promotions tabs and stuff on Gmail? Same idea. They try to try to stay out of them. So if they've hit reply from the question, chances are they won't go into the the promotion or the social tab, then, right? It may still go into the promotions tab. It's going to depend on your sender IP address, your sender reputation. There's all these factors that go into it, and what the wording is in the emails and stuff, but. I mean, if somebody sees it to reply to you, then, and it was in the promotions tab, then at least you know that they're checking the promotion tab. The pro promotions tab on Gmail is another piece of BS anyway. Because yeah. the only reason that they built it in the first place is because they wanted to take your promotions out of your mailbox so that you wouldn't see them, so that then you have to go search and click on Google Ads to find a product. Right. <laughs> it's just for Google to make more money. It's not for your benefit. I have noticed something that's uh, interesting about Gmail. Sometimes the, uh, and I always open and clean out the promotions tab. Of course, good marketers will look at other people's promotions too. And so I look at them and then some of them you're forced to open before you can delete them. And some, and some days you can just go to the right and click on the trash can and delete them before you open them. I don't know if they're doing some type of split test there or what. Yeah, I think they were testing it because I remember the garbage can icon disappeared for about two weeks and then now it's back. Yeah, I've had them come and go. So I, 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 was, I was figuring they're doing some kind of testing or they charge more <laughs> to, the, to the customer if they have to open it. Yeah, maybe. I wish in the software world they wouldn't stop thinking that they know better than the users <laughs> and just start messing with stuff. Like a good example is Photoshop removed the line drawing tool. Like that's like the only thing I use in Photoshop half the time is a <laughs> line drawing tool because I want to take a screenshot of something for a client. And then I draw a line with an arrow on the end and say, this is where you need to click the button kind of thing. Right. <laughs> and yeah. And then they took it out. I was like, oh, my God. And then I had to download this giant update of all kinds of other stuff I don't want just to get the line tool back. And yeah, I mean, it's just 
you know, I also in the software update world, another thing and not to go on too much of a rant, but I get up on my soapbox about software The everybody says, oh, well, this is only one change, right? If I move this button or whatever in our software, it's not a big deal, right? People will eventually find it and, and all's well. But the problem is I use 50 or 60 pieces of software a day. And of those, they're making changes every week or two. So now every single week, I got to search around for stuff that I normally use for an extra five or 10 minutes, 60 different times, because I'm using 60 different pieces of software that all got modified, right? It's just a complete waste of time. And the average business owner is working on their business or, you know, even in your case, maybe they're writing or they're working on PDFs or they're promoting or whatever they're doing. You know what they're not doing? They're not trying to figure out why the line drawing tool doesn't work anymore. Well, you know, I'll, I'll jump that into the uh, the ad manager and Facebook and Google <laughs> because, you know, I don't do this every day. I'm not an agency that's there, you know, every single second. I know. I do it every day and I can't find stuff half the time. Good Lord. Like, how would you? I cannot. I just cannot believe that some engineering management person at Google Ads or at Facebook Ad Manager looks at that interface and says, <laughs> well, John and Susie at the antique shop are totally going to figure this one out. Right, exactly. Like, no, they're not. I mean, most of the people that I know that are technical people can't even figure it out. Well, you know, I, you know, I'll go, I'll jump on your, your skeptical view of these folks is that they want you to click the boost button. That's so easy. And they, they know they're going to, you don't know what you're doing. They're going to take your money. It's never going to work. And they they discourage you from coming into the ad manager. And they know that the people that really can use the ad manager have $100,000 a day budgets they can work with. Right. Or they have an agency <laughs> or a marketing department. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably by design. They want you to click the boost, boost button because it's never going to work and they'll just take your money. And they know there's a billion people standing behind you. They're going to click the next boost boost button so that's my skeptical attitude of their <laughs> their less than 24 hours ago i interviewed scott Ayers from social media labs and what they do is they run experiments on things like facebook ad manager and so what they did is they ran a test they ran uh, a boosted post versus taking the exact identical post to the exact identical audience and setting it up in ad manager and they ran both and they ran $750 of ads with you know different examples to to test out on each side so i ended up spending 1500 bucks on both they found out that it was 40% more effective to create the post in ad manager than it was to do the same thing with the boost button there you go it's just something that i figured out inherently but i'm glad to hear that somebody proved it yeah there's just that's right now we know it with science <laughs> yeah exactly because they they even how you act in ad manager they know you're an idiot <laughs> right? so so if you if you put a three dollar a day budget in to start with that's fine everybody does that but if you then, if something is working a little bit and you jump to $20 a day, they like, oh man, we're going to take your money because you don't know yeah. what you're doing. So what they're going to see, the reason your $3 a day budget may have worked is it was put at some of the best places that have the best conversion. And when they see you jumping it up to $20, $30, all of a sudden, they say, oh, this person doesn't know what they're doing. We'll just start running it everywhere that doesn't convert, and then you just lose your money. It's the low-hanging fruit. 
No, you get your buddy to prove that for me. But that's uh, I'm absolutely sure that happened. I 100 percent have proof of that because I see that every single time I start an ad campaign. So here's what happens is you set up the ad, you put in you put in the budget. And I always intentionally start usually about 25 percent of whatever the actual budget's going to end up. Because I know that Facebook is going to use that money to try and get a quick win. They're going to try and find the low hanging fruit. Right. So. They're going to go find some people they figure the most likely to purchase and they're going to put that in. But then the trick is, is to slowly scale your budget. I don't have actual scientific proof on this, but our anecdotal data suggests that increasing your budget 50% every three days is a pretty solid method to keep the amount of conversions. Yeah, we, we only go like 20, 20% every three days. Yeah, we go 50% every three days. But 50% every three days doesn't sound like a lot, but if you start at 10 bucks, right, then it's 15, then it's 22.50, then you're at 30 bucks a day. You know, you're over $1,000 a month in ad spend from 150, but you've, you've got there in 12 days, right? Right, but you're not telling Facebook, hey, I'm an idiot. Yeah, take all my money. Right. Yeah. And then there's also, I mean, there's there's lots and lots and lots of ways to scale ad spend that people don't understand. Everybody thinks, well, if this is working, I can just spend more money on it and it will give me more sales, which will work to a point. And then you run into problems of audience burnout. Maybe there's not enough people in that audience for you. It really depends how specific your niche is. But anyway. Without getting into an entire episode about how to run Facebook Ad Manager, Tom, I think this has been great, and and we'll definitely have to talk again more. If somebody wants to reach out to you and and say screw it to the commute, what's the best way for them to find you? Well, I've got a uh, I've got a really a, a great freebie for them. It's an ebook I wrote on how to automate your business because you know I've had as much as one hundred and fifty thousand subscribers and sixty five thousand customers that I handle myself using these automation tools many are off the shelf i mean everything's either off the shelf free or cheap i mean just one of the tips in the book has saved me seven and a half million keystrokes so this is very powerful so uh, they can pick that up at screw the commute.com slash automate free screw the commute.com slash automate free perfect and that leads to everything else i got so nice and we'll have those in the show notes so underneath where you're listening to your podcast player right now you can hit that little button that you've never hit before for the show notes and find out that people write text under these and you can also get our show notes at hookseo.com slash podcast and uh, tom thanks again for being on the show i appreciate it and uh, we'll chat again soon my pleasure keep sending those emails man This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.